Um, oh, there, there we go. We're good. Well, it's good to be with you, and uh, I'm looking forward to preaching this morning. I've had a couple of weeks off. Uh, we had uh, a guest speaker in a couple of weeks ago, and, and last week uh, the Clarks shared their experience from their trip overseas, so it was great to hear from them and, and their testimony. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking forward to being back preaching this morning. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, you need a break from it, but then you get a break from it. You're like, come on, I want to preach. So I am happy to be back. Uh, we have been in a series together as a church called Gifted for Love, uh, and we're going to be back in that series this morning. And really the heart of that series is kind of twofold. One is uh, it's a series about unity, and the other is that it's a series that is meant to help equip each one of you to step into the gifting or the giftings that the Lord has given to you. You know, whenever Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, uh, his main focus is unity in the church. Anytime you see, whether it's in 1 Corinthians, in Romans, in Ephesians, he is mainly concerned with the unity of the church and how those gifts kind of uh, add to the unity of the church. He says in Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so Paul is all about this reality that, yes, we are different people, but we are part of one body. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And so unity is incredibly important because the body of Christ is not divided. And then Paul makes it very clear that every single one of us, if we're followers of Jesus, that we have been given a gift or multiple giftings for the purpose of building up the church and for glorifying God, that we are one body with many members different, all working together to that end. And so that's what we've been talking about as a church. And the last time that I preached, I started to look at some of the specific gifts that God has given his body. Specifically, we looked at the different offices of the church and how they function and their purpose. And we looked at how they functioned historically and how they function today in Jesus' church. And so this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 12 that Rochelle just read for us, verse 4 to 11. And we're going to look at how and why the Spirit of God gives gifts to every member of Christ's body. And then I want to just begin to outline some of the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to look at the first six relatively quickly this morning, and we're going to be just going verse by verse through God's Word. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4, and we're going to go right through verse 4 to about verse 8 or 9 this morning. But before we do that, let's pray uh, that the Lord would have His way in here. Father, thank You so much for each person here this morning. Thank you for your body. We've been talking about the importance of your body and how it functions together and how you have made us, each one uniquely, but we work together as, as one body to the glory of your name and to the good of one another and to the good of those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, as we talk this morning about what Paul says in verse 4 to 7 specifically, I pray that your spirit would speak to us, that you would lead us into understanding this morning, and that you would make us more and more into the image of your Son, that we would uh, step into the giftings that you've given us, not for, your, for our glory, but for yours. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for how your body functions, 
And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 to 6, he writes this, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So Paul begins with this kind of threefold explanation about the gifts in the church. And he begins this way because in the church in Corinth, the gifts of the Spirit were causing division. Namely, men and women in the, in the church in Corinth, they were lifting up certain gifts over others, thinking that some giftings were better than others. And I believe that likely in the church in Corinth, they were lifting up the gift of tongues, and they were lifting up the gift of prophecy as being elevated over the other gifts. And I say that because Paul spends an entire chapter in chapter 14 talking about those two gifts specifically. And so Paul's expectation for the church and God's design for the church in giving the gifts of the Spirit was to have the opposite effect, that they would not cause division, but that they would help us to embrace the uniqueness that each member of Christ's body brings to the body. And we've talked about this a lot over previous weeks in this series. And so before discussing some of the gifts, Paul grounds the people from the church in Corinth by reminding them, listen, there is no cause for pride when it comes to the gift of the Spirit. There's no cause for arrogance, and there is no cause for belittling the different giftings that are in the church. And that's what's causing division in the church in Corinth. And Paul says it's because all of the gifts, the ones being elevated and the ones being shunned, they come from the same God. And so when you elevate one and you shun one, you're not despising just one another and what you have. You're actually despising how God has designed his church. You're coming against the giver of the gifts when you lift one up and you shun another one. And so that's a clear warning to the church. Listen, remember, God's the one who gives the gifts. And so when you're judging them, you're judging how God has created his church. And that's a scary place to be. And so Paul is saying there is no cause for boasting, absolutely none. We do not choose the gifts that we have. They are bestowed upon us. And so when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, they should be received in all humility. And the gifts should be honored in each person according to what was received from God. And this is what Paul wants the Corinthians to understand. Now, you may notice in verses 4 to 6, the way that Paul writes it is quite interesting. He uses pretty overt Trinitarian language there. If you don't know what Trinitarian is or Trinity, it's just referring to the, the Christian belief that God is one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so Paul is using very clear Trinitarian language in verse 4 to 6, and he includes all three people of the Godhead when he's explaining the gifts of the Spirit. He says in verse 4, there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. Then in verse 5, he says, there are a variety of service, but the same Lord, referring to Jesus. And verse 6, there are varieties of activities, but the same God, referring to God the Father. So we see Spirit, Son, and Father in all of those three 
verses. And when Paul, what Paul is doing is he's listing aspects of using the gifts of the Spirit. And each aspect directly involves one of the members of the Godhead, inferring that it is God who gives the gifts, but it is also God who empowers the use of those gifts and ensures the outcomes of their use. And so when we look at each term that Paul lists, starting with gifts and then service and then activities, we see that they are successive with one another. The one has to, become, the one has to come before the other. So the Spirit gives gifts, and then we use those gifts in service to God, in service to the church, and those those gifts and those services flow to the activities, or a better way of translating that, the ESV translates it activities, but many other English versions, they translate it the workings or the effects or the outcomes. And so have that idea in your head. And so the Spirit empowers the gifts. We use those gifts in spirit, and then the outcomes are determined by God. So what Paul is trying to say here is that followers of Jesus receive gifts from the Spirit, and then we perform our service using those gifts that have been given, and we perform that service at the calling and the empowering of the Lord Jesus Christ who dwells within us. And the workings of that spirit, that, that service, the effects, the growth that comes from it, the outcome of it are empowered by God the Father. So where is their boasting in that? There is this beautiful partnership seen amongst the Godhead in the functioning of the gifts and this beautiful partnership seen between God and man in the using of those gifts. So we must be faithful. We must be faithful and serve and use the gifts that have been given to us. And as we do that, God will be faithful to bring the growth. God will be faithful to bring the results of that service that we do. And so when we understand this, that they're given, that they're empowered by God, there is no cause for division. There is no cause for pride. There is only celebration of what another person's gift brings to the body of Christ. And this is what Paul wants to make clear to the church in Corinth. He says, it's the same God who is empowering every single one of it's absolutely beautiful. And so after asserting all gifts, all service, and the outcomes come, come from and are empowered by God, Paul turns his attention in verse 7 to three different things. He talks about who receives the gifts, what they are, and why they're given. And so let's look at each one. First, who receives them? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now, the question is, what does Paul mean, or who does Paul mean by each? Who are the each here? And the answer to this question is found earlier in this chapter in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Spirit. 
So those who receive a gift of the Spirit are those who say, Jesus is Lord. Now, of course we know that, right? It's followers of Jesus who receive the gifts of the Spirit, but I think it's important to see it in Scripture there. And what I want us to understand is Paul is not talking just about some verbal assent there. He's not saying you just have to say, Jesus is Lord, and you receive gifts. There's something much more significant than just words, right? Because he's not sitting there going, nobody is able to say Jesus is Lord apart from the Spirit. Now, obviously, people can say that, right? But it's whether there's actually something behind it. If it's not from the Spirit, it is an empty declaration that is leaving our lips, And this is what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that there will be those who will declare him as Lord, but he's not. Matthew 7, 22 to 23. It's an awful verse. I don't like it. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? That's what Jesus said. They're going to call me Lord. They're going to refer to me as Lord. And I'm going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, Paul is inferring so much more than just a declaration here. It is a declaration that is backed by the entirety of our lives. It is a declaration that is backed by how we live. We can examine ourselves in this, and we can know, is Jesus Lord, or when I say that, is it an empty declaration? We can assess ourselves. Do you love the Lord Jesus? Are you surrendered to Him? Does He have your ultimate allegiance Do you do what he says, and do you refrain from what he warns against? Jesus said, this is how you will show your love for me, by following my commands. And so, are you following his commands? And when you fail, do you feel conviction? Do you feel that conviction from the Holy Spirit? Do you seek forgiveness? Do you turn from what displeases Him and turn to what He has called good? That's what it means for Jesus to be Lord and Savior. We cannot say Jesus is Lord and live our own ways that are against His commands. That's not what it means. So each of us know in our hearts, is Jesus actually my Lord? Or is it something that I say? And we're not perfect. We know we'll fall. But if these things don't resonate within you, then you need to consider whether your declaration that Jesus is Lord is true. Maybe you've been in church for years and you just kind of assumed Jesus is Lord. It's just kind of what I grew up knowing. Well, listen, if if you're here and you kind of recognize, no, you know what? Jesus is not Lord. Well, he died for you. 
He died for you on the cross. God sent him because every single one of us in this room, every single person in this world is a sinner who falls short of God's glory. And when we recognize that, and we come to the Lord Jesus, and we ask for forgiveness, he will forgive when we trust in what He's done for us on the cross. And so, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, that's all it takes. Believe that He died for you. Believe that He has a better way for you to live than your way. And surrender to Him and follow Him as Lord of your life. And then you receive what we're talking about this morning, these gifts of the Spirit. Not for yourself, but for the people that are around you, for God's church, for the people that don't know the Lord Jesus yet. Because every true believer in Christ has been given a gift or gifts. And some of you don't believe that. Some of you are a believer in Jesus, and you're like, I, I got nothing. I have no gift things. I have nothing to offer. It's a lie from the enemy. And this is one of the reasons why it is so important that we don't do Christianity on our own. You're to be amongst the body of believers because you have something to offer. And people have something to offer you. As soon as you try to separate yourself from the body of believers, that's it. You are not walking out your faith as Jesus has asked you to, has commanded you to. Because you're needed as part of his body. And you need his body. Joel chapter 2, 28 to 29 prophesied about what would happen in the last days. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. That's what we're talking about this morning. God's Spirit has been poured out. And so, what are the gifts? Well, Paul says in verse 7 here, he says, the gifts are manifestations of the Spirit. Well, what is a manifestation? A manifestation is to disclose something. A manifestation means to bring something to light. D.A. Carson, he says it this way, the gifts are all about making God seen. And I love that. The gifts are about making God seen. They are literally my favorite thing. You probably heard me say it over and over again. They are for our good and for God's glory, right? If you've been here anytime, you hear that all the time here. Things are for our good and for God's glory, and that's what the gifts are for. They are a public thing. They are to be used for others. They are to be seen by others so that God may be seen and be glorified. And this is what we see in Scripture. A perfect example is the day of Pentecost, right? On the day of Pentecost, tongues of fire come falling down on the believers, and men and women hear the gospel in their own language. And then Peter goes on and he preaches this incredible sermon and he has 3,000 people come to faith. They see God that day, and they come to faith in Jesus Christ. That was the giftings of the Spirit at work. That's what brought people to see God. It wasn't Peter's wisdom. It was wisdom from God. It was knowledge from God. It was teaching from God. So why are they given? They are given, Paul says in verse 7, for the common good. And I think that's twofold. One, there are evangelistic purposes to the gifts. There are miraculous gifts. There are things that the Spirit of God will do that people will see who do not know Christ and come to know God is real. 
And so there are evangelistic purposes to the gifts, and there is the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And we've been talking about that a lot over the last several weeks. The purpose of the gifts is twofold, evangelistic and building up one another, being edified by the power of the Spirit. Now, before I go any further and look at the gifts themselves, I want to touch on something that I haven't touched on yet in this series, and that's the two differing views that exist in Protestantism in regards to the gifts. There's two gifts, or there's two views in Protestantism. There's cessationism and there's continuationism. Cessationism means something has ceased. Continuationism means that something has continued. And so there's been this ongoing debate in the Protestant church whether certain gifts have ceased following the apostolic age or the the first generation of the church. And I want you to notice I said some or certain gifts have ceased. Because there's this misrepresentation of cessationism that cessationists believe that all of the gifts have ceased. And that is not the case of historic cessationism. Cessationism, or cessationists believe that the more charismatic, the more miraculous gifts ceased with the first generation of Christians. So that includes apostleship, prophecy, tongues, healing, miracles, and sometimes, depending on the circle and the tradition, discernment. Cessationists believe those gifts have ceased in Jesus' church. Now, there's another misrepresentation of cessationism, is that those who hold this view, that they don't believe in miraculous occurrences. Well, that's not true either. They believe miracles still occur. They believe God can do what He desires, but that individuals are not specifically gifted in those things. But God can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. On the other hand, continuationists believe that the miraculous gifts are all still in practice today and will be for the entirety of the church age. And that is apart from what we talked about a couple weeks ago in regards to the apostolic authority in the early church. We believe that has ceased. And so, where, so you know where I land. I and we as a church believe that the miraculous gifts have continued. I and we as a church are continuationists. And that does not mean, when I say that, that does not mean that every single person here is going to land there. There may be some here who hold the cessationist view. And the reality is, it's a secondary issue. And we can love each other, we can worship together, and we can uphold the truth of God and the truth of Jesus while landing differently on that issue. But if you're here, just know that as a church, and for me, I will encourage the responsible, God-honoring use of all of the gifts for the building up of the church. And so, you may be wondering, well, what makes you land there? Just a couple of quick things of why I'm a continuationist. You can talk about it after if you want. I love these sorts of conversations. But just, just a couple of things. Paul, I believe Paul taught all of the gifts to the church, that all gifts were for the building up of the church. And the building up of the church needs to happen as much today 
as it did in the church's early days. That need has not changed. The other thing for me is there's really no indication in any teaching in the New Testament that the gifts would cease after the first generation or that they should be viewed any differently than how Paul taught them. Acts chapter 2, where, where Peter uh, quotes Joel, he literally says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Now, what's important there is in verse 17, where Peter says, and in the last days. That's important, because the last days refers to the church age in Scripture, and we are still in the church age, and we will continue to be in the church age until the return of Jesus Christ. Christ. And so, for me, in Scripture, if there's any indication that the, the giftings are going to end, it's in 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says gifts are going to pass away, but he says that will not happen until the perfect comes. Well, the perfect is Jesus Christ. And so, they will fall away when Jesus returns, absolutely. But that has not happened yet. And so that's where I land, uh, and I just think, other than that, there's just sufficient evidence in my mind throughout church history that these things are still active. Some of you may land differently, and that's okay. Uh, and like I say, I love those kinds of conversations. We can talk about that. So let's just briefly, as we wind down here, let's look at the first six gifts that Paul lists in 1 Corinthians 12 first one that he lists is the utterance of wisdom. Wisdom comes from the Greek word Sophia, just like the name. And Anybody named Sophia in here? It's too bad, eh? You could have claimed that one, right? Like, bam, wisdom. Uh, Sophia means to have insight. It means to be skilled or to be artful in the application of wisdom. So, those with the gift of wisdom will often have a deep understanding of God's Word, a deep understanding of His commandments. They will be able to speak to an individual's life, to a group's situation, with acute understanding and perspective of what's going on. They will have this ability to guide others into proper living according to God's Word. Right, so you'll, you'll sometimes come across those, those Christians where they'll be able to say something to you in such a precise way, or they'll be able to explain something to you, and you'll just be like, I could have never said that. I could have never explained it in that way. And you perfectly understand what they're saying. That's the gift of wisdom that the Spirit gives to His followers. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. So often with the, the gift of wisdom, you'll see those people that they just have an awe for the fear of the Lord. They'll just be in awe of God. That There's this reality of His holiness. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Next is the gift of knowledge. Knowledge comes from the Greek word gnosis, and it's very simple. It means understanding, 
And it is very similar to the gift of wisdom. It's this reality that someone is able to speak knowledge to another person's given situation very well, very accurately. Sometimes it can be a, a prophetic word or, you know, someone will be given a word that will just speak directly to your situation. You'll be like, how did you know that? <laughs> That's the gift of knowledge. But it doesn't always have to be this big revelation from God. They'll just know what's happening with you and how to help you navigate it. Faith the gift of faith. Now, this is not saving faith. That's a gift that we all receive. Amen. Thankful for that. All Christians have saving faith. This is a different kind of faith. It comes from the Greek word pistis. It means confidence. It means certainty, trust, assurance. Right? So, these are those people, uh, you want to be around these people, because these are those people that have just this deep confidence in God. Like, He is sovereign. He is good. He is in control. He can do anything. These are the people that are like, they take God's word at its meaning. If God said it, He can do it. Right? So these are the people who are expectant and completely unsurprised when God just does something miraculous. Everybody else is like, wow! And they're like, yeah. Obviously, it's God, right? They just have this immense confidence. You want those people if you're going on a mission trip or something like that. Next is healings, giftings of healings and miracles. I put these two together because they're very, they're very similar. And they're interesting. Some people may differ on this than me, and that's okay. But the way that they are written in the ESV, they're different than the other gifts because both of these are written in the plural as opposed to the singular. And so ESV translates it gifts of healing. Some other translations use gifts of healings. And for miracles, it says working of miracles in the ESV. Some other translation says workings of powers. And it's different than the other gifts because, like I say, the other ones are singular. These are plural. And so that's led me over the years to come to this conclusion that these gifts are slightly different, that they are not given permanently to someone, that I can't say, I have the gift of healing, I have the gift of miracles, that it happens at various times in various places and situations that God desires to heal an individual, that God desires to reveal his presence, that he wants to show his glory, that he wants to create awe in a situation and, and show himself. So that's where I land on those gifts because of the plurality of them, that, that they are available to anyone in a situation. You may land differently, and that's okay. The reality is, whether it's healing, whether it's miracles, these are those giftings that show the awe of God, that he breaks into the natural and shows himself that he can do things that in the natural we absolutely cannot do. That should also encourage you that you don't have to think you have the gift of healing. And if someone needs healing, you just pray for healing. It's going to be God that's going to do it. It's not you. So you just, you just pray. The last is discernment. In the ESV, it's called distinguishing spirits. Uh, and these are people who are, have this acute ability to appraise or, or judge an individual 
uh, judge a situation, judge an environment, and understand what the source of that environment is. Whether what's happening is from God, whether what's happening is from the devil, whether it is a, a worldliness, a, a battle with the flesh, these people are able to discern the spirit behind something. Hebrews 5.14 says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have the powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So these are the people that will walk into the room and they'll just be like, mm, something's not right here. Okay? Or there'll be a situation going on with you in your life and they'll be able to say, I think that's just you struggling with your flesh. Or no, that's, that's the enemy coming against you and you need prayer. These people are able to discern these sorts of things. They are excellent for being able to warn about danger and keeping people from being led astray. So these are just six of the giftings that God has given to His church. We're going to look at several more next week as we continue on in 1 Corinthians 12, but each one is needed. Each one is so important. Each one is empowered by the Spirit of God for the building up of you and the building up of me and the building up of His body. And so we want to grow in these gifts. We want to grow in the practice of them for the sake of one another and the glory of God. And so to that point, if you are a regular attender or a member and you are on our newsletter list, I sent you an email this past week on Friday. You would have received it. And I asked you if you would please fill out a spiritual gifts test. Now, I know, I know these are not perfect. They're man-made. But they can help us kind of discern where our giftings land. Because as we continue to uh, prepare for our new ministry year in the fall, as we've been doing work on our vision and our values, as we're rethinking ministry, we want to step into those things that our church are strongly gifted in. We don't want to have ministries where, you know, 10% of the, gift, the church is gifted and everybody's like, I can't do that. We want ministries that reflect the people that God has brought here. So I would ask that you fill those out for me. There's also a few questions there just about where you see God at work, where you see the enemy at work, opportunities, things like that. It's so important that we understand that we all have a part to play. And that's really the, the point here. And so I hope you're encouraged and will be as we continue to look at these gifts. And maybe you'll start to recognize, oh, I think I have that. I think the Lord has bestowed that upon me. How do I begin to walk that out for the good of others and the glory of God? Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for how you have created your church and how you have not only knitted each person together, uh, but knitted your church together. And I am thankful for the different expressions of Christ's body uh, all over, not only just our community, but but all over your world, even within our community, there are different churches that you have gifted in different ways in order to uh, further the purposes and plans that you have. And it's just a beautiful thing. And so, Lord, we praise you for how you have brought us together, for the purposes that you have for us here. And, Lord, I ask that you would help us to step into those things, that we would have confidence that it's absolutely not about us, that we would just walk into uh, the giftings that you've given with humility and just ask you, Lord, as I serve, would you work through me? 
As I do what I can do, would you bring the increase? As I use my hands and my feet and speak with my mouth, may you bring glory to your name. Father, thank you that you are the same God who empowers everything in all of us. May we be unified and celebrate one another and how you've made us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.